Welcome to Poetically Speaking. We're your co-hosts, Eliana Horning and Kendall Wack. Thanks so much for joining us. We're so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. We are especially glad to see everyone back after our two-week hiatus, um, which was caused by me getting COVID directly after recording the episode on COVID and disability. Ellie and I got COVID like, what was it, a week and a half in between each other? Yeah. I guess this new variant is crazy. So stay safe. I'm Mm -hmm. still dealing with some lingering side effects. Uh, Not crazy, just a nice little lingering cough, you know. But yeah, so here we are two weeks later, back and ready to go ready to talk to all of your beautiful faces that we cannot see, but we know that our <laughs> listeners are, are hot. hot. I'm so sexy. Yeah. Sexy people listen to Poetically Speaking. It's scientifically it's so proven. <laughs> I definitely read a case study on that. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, the topic of today's episode is going to be religion slash religious trauma. Yeah, and we know that this is a particularly touchy, thorny subject, so we did want to put a little disclaimer. It's mostly, the religion aspect is mostly from the perspective of Catholicism and Evangelical Christianity, which is my, or Kendall's and my experiences respectively, so we're really only talking about our experiences and patterns that we've seen in people that have left the churches of Catholicism and Evangelical Christianity. So we're mostly talking about our own experiences. We're not trying to sort of cast judgment on both of these, I I guess, subsections of Christianity. We're not trying to cast judgment on anyone who follows that as a whole. We are just sort of talking about what we've seen in a more analytical, personal light. Absolutely. And with that, let's get to our first poem of the episode, which is entitled Reading Poems by Emily Bennett, who is at afterthoughts.xmo on Instagram. The poem is as follows. I have had countless hands laid on my head, heavy and empty, full of importance and promises, some kept. I have been taught to worship at scarred palms, open and beckoning like an invitation mandated. I have kept my hands and fists for most of my life, curled in uncertainty, squeezed with rage, unfelt. Did you ever search your palms for power? The first time I let mine kiss was in a meditation. The power I felt was forbidding, alluring, and dangerous. I quickly pressed them to my breast, my first taste of my divinity. Uncurling my fingers, I begged my palms for forgiveness. So I love this poem, of course. I think it's uh, incredibly simple, but very heartfelt. And I also connected to it on a personal level. Sort of the caption of it, I guess, for a little bit of context, is one of many yoga epiphanies, which is I also sort of got into yoga after a couple years of not being in the church. And it was sort of like a really welcome, like, embracing of both body and mind which was not really present in my experience of evangelical christianity so like this idea of allowing like the palms to press together i don't know there's just something really like physical about this poem and there's something very beautiful about all of a sudden 
like realizing that this huge part of yourself your entire body was sort of like discouraged no absolutely and i think that a huge part of religion at least how i've experienced it in christianity is the idea that your body does not belong to you your body belongs to the church your body belongs to god your body belongs to men in the church like we could go off on a whole other tangent about the view or the role of men versus women in christianity and in the bible but the the idea is that like your body is not a good thing you are supposed to learn how to control your bodily desires you're supposed to learn how your bodily desires are bad especially in the context of sex you're not supposed to be one with your body you have to learn mind over matter you're told that i'm honestly you're told that bodily functions in any capacity are wrong all the time so i think what this poem captures really well is that idea of when you step away from that that worldview coming to terms with yourself and coming back into yourself and into your body and like finding your power finding the power that you were never allowed to have in yourself as opposed to externally and so i think that especially the end of this poem is really powerful for me like did you ever search your palms for power like no i i never searched my palms for power because i wasn't allowed to and then at the end when it says i begged my palms for forgiveness it's it's like okay so i i didn't think about it and i'm sorry to myself i feel bad that i let myself be mistreated in this way i i feel bad that i let myself feel this pain and never once tried to find the power in myself and I don't want to come off as victim blamey or anything in terms of this because like obviously it wasn't just like I didn't let myself it was like I was being told that I wasn't allowed to do this or that um so it's obviously a little bit more nuanced but I think that that's something that this poem captures really well uh I know specifically that Emily is a ex-Mormon so that's a whole other aspect of religion or a type of religion yeah that is a very complex form of religion that i can't get into that neither of us are qualified to unpack but i just wanted to recognize how even though that is a different form of religion than the religion that ellie and i have both experienced we are still able to completely identify with what this poem is describing and so i think that it's, it is one a testament to the impact of religion, different forms of religion on people, on ex-religious people, but it's also a testament to Emily's ability to capture this universal idea and make it universal, really, is to capture this idea that could be hyper-specific and make it universal enough that two people who are not and were never Mormons can read this poem and feel heard and seen yeah definitely i do sort of want to go back to your like just briefly on the the body topic i like the idea that your body is not your own but i i think something that's sort of like very prevalent in christianity is your body is not you you know like you are not your body this idea that like your body is worldly and your soul is you know somehow higher and anything that happens with or in your body is not like I don't know it's not elevated like the way your soul is so it's sort of um this idea that you're you're automatically 
told to distance yourself from your body. You're told to dissociate, essentially, like, oh, I am not my body. Yes, you are. That's part of you. Uh, and it's important, but, like, the, the constant, like, your body is, like, worldly and you'll leave it behind, and once you're in heaven, you know, you'll be, like, the most perfect version of yourself, which, like, feels a little, hmm... <laughs> if if we want to talk a little bit about ableism as we were talking about it a couple episodes ago but uh it's just you know it is it's really refreshing and again the yoga aspect is very trying very hard to connect mind to body breath to body it's very central to that and i think that um that's why it probably resonates with both me and uh and Emily here. Me and Emily, like, both have this sort of, uh, it's almost like a reclamation. Like, oh yeah, I actually do want to connect with my body. That does, it does feel nice to be able to, like, actually understand what it feels like to feel connected to your body. Absolutely. I think that was a really beautiful way of saying that. But I think going off of what you said, the idea of wanting to reconnect with your body, uh, this poem does a really good job of illustrating that specifically through the imagery. It's it's very image heavy. And like I've kept my hands in fists, squeezed with rage, like all of these are very visceral images and I think that serves the poem well and I think it also serves the purpose that you were explaining of like trying to reconnect with your body and honestly like exploring spirituality through the physicality of you because like you said you are your body your body is you so i just i i found this poem and i instantly knew that i wanted it on the podcast so thank you so much to emily for letting us use this poem um again emily's at is afterthoughts.xmo on instagram it will be linked but you should definitely go check out Emily's other work, her poetry is incredible, and I am so grateful to have had the chance to spotlight it on the podcast. Definitely. Thanks, Emily. And with that, on with the episode. So we wanted to start the episode off with just a kind of dive into why people seek out religion. Why is religion appealing to people? And Ellie had some really good thoughts about that so I will let Ellie have the floor on this one (laughs) thanks I've done a lot thinking about this so I think the biggest reason actually two of the biggest reasons is sense of belonging and community and explanations for the unknown so like I mean obviously throughout history like Greek mythology a lot of Greek mythology was like wow what is this like horrible thing that's happening in the world like why are there tornadoes or hurricanes or whatever? Oh, it's the it's it's a god and we made them mad or something. So that's not new, but I think that that's still like a recurring thread up until now. I think a lot of times people come to the church because I think I read a stat or something. I I forget what article it was. I'll see if I can find it and link it. But it was talking about how in like after 9/11 happened, people who were polled said that like 90% of the people who were polled, like, turned to religion after 9-11. So, like, it's it's a very, it's a powerful thing because you're given all of these, like, very, like, cut-and-dry answers, 
for things that usually aren't cut and dry. So um, that's definitely really appealing. And I think in general, of course, any, any group community thing like this, a sense of belonging is a very powerful thing. Christianity, you know, it's, it's a built-in support network. It's, it's, it's built-in mutual aid. And like, as much as the church ha has hurt me, I still can't discount the fact that they do a lot of good. Like they do a lot of like physical, tangible good in their communities. And uh, there's a lot of stability in that. There's a lot of stability in going to the same place every week and reading the same book as everybody else and talking about the same things. So I think those are that's those are the main reasons that I think of because I honestly honestly the biggest thing I think is connection with other people because you know we can we can talk about God all we like but at the same time God is not tangible and other people are so there's a sense of community and there's a sense of I mean I know like fellowship was a word that was tossed around a lot in my churches like Every Sunday is is fellowship with your with your fellow believers, you know, like, oh, come to this luncheon. It's a it's a fellowship event and we're going to, you know, have some really subpar potato salad and like <laughs> hot dogs. But like I think yeah, those are those are the main things. And I also did want to bring up fear as well because fear like that does sort of like fall onto under the explanation for unknowns. But there is also a huge aspect of like things are scary, man. Like things, things are really, really scary. And if I hadn't already, you know, like been in the church and left the church, I might have turned to religion in like the past few years. Like, I mean, both of us sort of have like dipped our toes into like spirituality and yoga, like I was saying earlier. So like having things to sort of like cling to in times of uncertainty is, is super, super meaningful. And again, religion, and like organized religion more specifically provides uh, a, a solid foundation for a lot of people's lives which as we'll get into later when you leave that foundation's not there anymore and that sucks but the fear aspect of like the world and there's also the fear aspect that keeps people involved which is the less great aspect of it like sort of like i don't know saving people from going to hell in order to protect your own status in heaven so you don't suffer forever. Fear of other people and what the, like there's a lot of distrust in the church both within it and without it sort of like like looking at other people the worldly people as like threats sort of like oh they're not like following Jesus they're not following our specific set of rules so they must be like morally bankrupt which is like I don't know that always bugged me because I was like I know a lot of non-Christians who are very very good people like, Christianity is not the, the bastion of morality, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. But, like, yeah, fear is a big part of it as well. Absolutely. And I think something that you pointed out really stood out to me, or something that I wanted to go off of, is the idea that, like, especially the past few years, or, like, post-disaster, all of this thing like that, leads people to religion. Like, there is, a lot of times, trauma, traumatic events, like, pain leads people to religion because they want to find a purpose. But I think that something worth noting, which I think is also going to lead into our next point, is that these religions, like people coming to religion, are very vulnerable people. They're in very vulnerable spaces. And while it can be a good thing to find meaning and purpose and an explanation for all of the hard things around you, at the end of the day, that also opens you up to all sorts of abuse and predatory behavior. 
I, I don't even want to get into grooming of children by youth pastors, but that's just one example that comes to mind is like, you have these people in a very vulnerable space and then things can happen because of that. And that's not necessarily something that always happens, but you have to remember at the end of the day, like churches are institutions. They have a fiscal goal. They are exempt from taxes, but specifically like the Catholic church, like when you think of the Catholic church as an institution in history, um, which I'm not going to get into too much right now, but you know, all of like the crusades and all of that, like at the end of the day, it's, it's like, it's almost like its own form of government in a lot of cases. So there's not checks and balances. There's often crazy imbalances of power in these spaces. And so it's very likely that when you're in a vulnerable space, someone can take advantage of that. And so I think this idea, like keeping that in mind, helps us ease into our next idea, which is like, what happens when you're in the church? We kind of explain like why people join churches, but like what happens once you're inside it? Yeah, I think oftentimes there is the, like like you said, there's a really great aspect of finding community, but then you're in a community and then you have to deal with what's going on. And oftentimes it's uh, it's a little culty. It can get pretty culty depending on how big the church is. Like I grew up in a pretty rural church. That was a little culty. Sort of like every connection you have in your life goes back to the church. You know, you're going there three, four nights a week. You're involved in all these luncheons and all of these like fundraising events and all of these just fellowship events like I mentioned earlier. Every connection you have goes back. Every meaningful connection you have is supposed to go back to the church because most churches will tell you like, yeah, you can have outside connections. You can have people in your life who aren't Christians, but you should be careful. It goes back to that worldly thing, goes back to that whole the world is corrupting and it, people are up to, you know, harm you or whatever. And it's sort of like making close friends with non-believers is, is discouraged. Marrying someone who isn't Christian is highly discouraged. Like, there were a lot of discussions about this. I remember in my youth group, because people were asking, like, oh, like, can I date someone who isn't a Christian? And, like, they wouldn't say no, but they sure as hell wouldn't say yes. It was, it was a lot of, like, it's, you don't want to make connections with people outside of this echo chamber, and you don't want to make connections with people who could corrupt you or cause you to stumble on your path, as someone once said to my mom, because my mom was posting about, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't support Donald Trump in the 2016 election. People were like, you're causing me to stumble in my path. She was like, okay. <laughs> I, I think that there's also something notable here where it is discouraged that you make friends with non-believers, except when you try to convert them. Absolutely, because yeah. Evangelical Christianity, whether it's Protestant Christianity or Catholicism, is it's evangelical. The point is to evangelize other people. So it's like you can have other friends, but the goal is to make those friends Christian too. The goal yeah. is to turn to bring those people into the church. It's not to just have people that have different views than you because why would they want that? Like you said, it's an echo chamber. The idea is that everyone has the same thoughts and you just keep saying them back and forth. So they don't want you to expand your worldview. You want they want you to to shrink their worldview to be the same yeah. as yours. So there, yeah. there's that aspect where it's like, we don't want you to mingle with the outside world, except when you're picking victims. 
so to speak. Not not everyone being evangelized <laughs> yeah. as a victim, but the way that it's kind of like carried out in Christianity is like you have to find someone and you're like, I'm going to save this person and I will make them. My life's purpose is to save this person from eternal damnation, which is... I, I don't know about you, but like I don't personally make friends that way. I don't I don't personally be like, let's see who among these is the most damaged and needs <laughs> to hear about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Like I'm really ready and raring to tell my like fourth grade classmates about how they're gonna go to hell unless they accept Jesus. Like they're trying to eat their goldfish, you know? They're trying to eat their ham sandwich their mom packed them for lunch. They don't need to hear a fourth grader proselytizing to them. Nobody needs that. No, exactly. Continue on the thread of echo chambers. With all ideologies, like, ideology is a worldview. Ideology is a way of perceiving everything in your sphere of perception, I guess. It molds and shapes a worldview, so it sort of encourages complete devotion. So there's an encouragement of, like we said, like, severing connections outside of the church that are not, like, eventually going to be taken into the church. So, like, it's an echo chamber, but it's also, like, it's worse than an echo chamber, almost, because it's, like, your worldview is completely different. Like, you see the world in a completely different way, and you're discouraged from having connections with people who don't. And, like, the number of, like, Christian TikTok is unhinged for a number of reasons, but, like, I've seen lots of posts about, like, oh, I'm, like, walking down the street and, like, looking at all these people and they don't know that, like, there's a secret war going on and they're on the losing side and it's like, holy shit, man, huh? Like, a a secret war? That was always just sort of baffling to me because it's like you quite literally, like, think you're on a different plane of existence and, like... I'm just gonna go get a coffee, you know? Like, I'm I'm not talking to the devil right now. I am gonna go spend $6 on a latte, is what I'm gonna do. Maybe that is a little devilish, but... That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> yeah, there, well, it all comes back. It all comes back <laughs> to that. But yeah, there is a lot of, like, it's more, I, I would argue it's more insidious than just an echo chamber, because it's not just what you're hearing, like, in an echo chamber. It's everything. Like, your perception is completely changed. Absolutely. And I think as, as you have mentioned before like this perception like it it is all encompassing like you said like this is this is an overarching perception of the world and you think like like you said that you're on a different level than everyone else and so this involves all of the issues that encompass the world politics gender and sexual identities racial dynamics family dynamics perceptions of the communities around you locally and nationally like it's all being filtered through this lens of religion. And I think, well, it it can be important to recognize how the morality aspect of whatever religion you're involved in brings you. Like, you are entitled to that sense of morality from the rules that you follow, but it's also so exclusive that it, it doesn't allow you to expand any perspective and to see anything else outside of your immediate life like outside of your immediate like you've got blinders on Mm, and there's just such a shutting out of everything else around you and so it's just like you decide that this one thing is is the truth and nothing else can be true or good or real and so i i definitely think that it it can be very damaging to have this one track mind this one track perspective where this is how you see the world and no one, no matter their experiences, no matter their research, no matter their thoughts, can change your mind because 
your pastor told you this, your priest told you this, and that must mean it's true. And so I feel like this is a good spot to kind of transition into more anecdotal, a little bit less, I don't know, analytic ideas of religion and kind of explain why we're qualified to talk about this or how we fit into this picture. I know that we had already mentioned, Ellie mentioned that we grew up Christian, but specifically for me, I grew up Catholic. I'm what they call a cradle Catholic, which is you are Catholic from birth. I was baptized Catholic. Both of my parents were Catholic. All of their parents were Catholic. I was very much immersed into Catholicism from the moment that I was born. Like, I'm pretty sure my mom said they started taking me to church two weeks after I was born, which is insane because I would not want to have a newborn at church. Not even, not even for the sake of, of teaching religion, just the idea of having a baby, because like, I'm sure you know, all, anyone who goes to a church that allows babies knows the distinct, shrill, screeching sounds of a baby. Talk about an echo chamber. Literally. Oh my god. It's, the, the acoustics of churches, great for music, awful for screaming babies. So anyway, I was a cradle Catholic. Like Ellie, I also grew up in a very small town and most of the environment around me was Catholic. I did, I think, 14 years of Catholic school. I started Catholic preschool. I went to a Catholic pre-K through eight school. So I started Catholic preschool at the ripe age of three. Um, yeah, I started learning about Catholicism very, very early. And then, like I said, I went through pre-K through eight. So I did two years of Catholic preschool and then kindergarten through eighth grade at that school. And then I did four years of Catholic high school, which was absolute hell on earth, which I will get into a little bit later. I, as much as, you know, religion is harmful, there's probably nothing more harmful for me than my high school was. But... Beyond that, um, I also, when I, I ended up going to three and a half years of a Jesuit Catholic college, and it was not the same thing because like we did have a re- required religion class or theology class, but you didn't have to take Christian theology. I did because <laughs> when you do 14 years of Catholic schooling, it's really easy to pass a, a, a basic intro level class on Catholicism. Yeah, so I, for sure. I personally did take a class, um, but it was more for the sake of getting an A, less for the sake of being interested. But I did, you know, continue to go to a quote unquote Catholic university. So if you count that, I did 17 and a half years of Catholic schooling. Oh. But I, I don't personally count college as being Catholic because there were a lot of challenged worldviews in my classes there and but also that's also kind of I don't want to get off on a tangent but Jesuit Catholicism is a very different form of Catholicism that I actually personally like a lot they're pretty leftist I guess you could say they're pretty radical not in the term like radical as in like radical Christianity or they right. use, I mean, like, I'm sure you, you being Christian, you know how the term radical is used in Christianity. Um, it's scary. <laughs> so I don't mean it like that. I mean radical in the sense of, like, the world. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so that's my background. Almost everyone around me was Catholic because of my going to Catholic school. And I think, honestly, the only thing that kind of saved me was I did competitive swimming for eight years. 
Mm. And because my my small Catholic school, like, it was a very, very small Catholic school. Like, I'm talking middle of nowhere Catholic school. Because it was so small, even though it was pre-K through 8, we didn't have, like, a pool. We didn't have, we had, you know, maybe, like, volleyball, basketball. But we didn't have, like, crazy intense, like, extracurriculars. So I did the swimming at the public school with the public school Mm -hmm. kids. So I do think that that exposure did help me a little bit. But most of the people in my life up until college, we're all Catholic. We're all very intense Catholics. We're all cradle Catholics. Mm. And so it's it's just been an environment that I have been fully immersed in since I was literally born. So mm-hmm. this is something that I have a lot of experience with and we'll get into in depth a little bit later. But so yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from with this. And that's the context for how I'm I'm approaching this. Right, yeah. I did not grow up in Catholic school. I did not grow up Catholic. I grew up, as I sort of mentioned, in like a really small, I think it was probably most of the time under like 50, 60 parishioners, definitely under 100. Church in the middle of nowhere, there was like a weird amount of land. Like this church had, was is is sitting on like acres and acres of land. So, there was like a, an emphasis on stewardship, uh, I guess, to the land, which is sort of, I think that's like a Genesis verse. I don't remember. Like Adam was a, was a steward of the land or whatever, yeah, like taking yeah, yeah. care of the earth, like as God gave you or whatever. There's a, a huge emphasis on nature and like there were gardens and everything. The church garden was something my mom ran and it fell apart without her. Don't worry about it, it's fine. There was really, the interesting part about that to me, this is, I guess, like a slight tangent, there was really no discussion of, like, climate change or, like, any long-lasting care for the planet. It was mostly like, oh, wow, like, look at the deer that live on the property. We shoot the deer sometimes for food. Isn't that awesome? Let's let's go ride a four-wheeler. Like, it, it was just, it was really, like, superficially focused on gardening and the very small lens of, like, the admittedly quite large amount of land that the church had. We went every week. Eventually, my dad was the associate pastor, which was not as big a role as you think it is. I don't even know if he was paid for it, but my mom was the worship leader as well for the church. She was paid for that. That was her job for a while. So, like, we were well-established in this church. We were rooted down into this church for for years. For a couple years before I was born, I think my parents went. And we went up until I was around 12. So I was at this particular church for the first 12 years of my life. And everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew us for sure. Like, we were very close with the pastor's family as well. And on a personal level, I took it very seriously. I was hit the hardest by the religion aspect, like the trauma aspect. My brothers were like definitely hit by it, like sort of just, you know, nobody likes going to church. Nobody likes getting up at like eight in the morning as a kid and like being forced to go to a church. But for me, it was more of like a, I internalized a lot of what was going on without being told to. Like my mom and dad weren't like, okay, yeah, so like these things that we learned in church and was in like the handout, internalize that, make sure you like keep that in your heart or whatever. They were just like, taking me to church because that's what you did, you know? So I, a lot of it, I sort of, I don't, I don't really believe this, but I sort of joke that like a lot of my religious trauma is self-inflicted because I just sort of absorbed it like a sponge. Like I took in everything everyone was saying all the time. I was like, oh yeah, like the pastor says that, I don't know, pastor says something. So like, I will be believing that. Like that's, that's a 
core tenet of my personal morality clause now. And I also did a lot of like personal interpretation of the Bible. Like I specifically remember like a family friend of mine, my mom, for some reason, we never put it together that like the guy, like his best friend that he would bring along with him every year when he came to visit was like actually his like long-term partner. And then my mom was like, oh, do you know that they're gay? And I was like, oh my God. And I remember like going down like a spiral of like looking up, like, is it okay for a Christian to go to a gay person's wedding? And like doing all of these like deep dives on like, what does the scripture say about this? So like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of personal interpretation and in what I did. And also like later on, I, we went to a different church from when I, when I was 12 on. And that's when I was in my most vulnerable spot because I was also homeschooled during the two years where I should have been in middle school. Oof. Yeah, uh, this is pretty much, I feel kind of, <laughs> I feel kind of bad because my parents truly were just trying, like trying their absolute best to give us like a great childhood. And it just so happened that we were homeschooled and like the people around my mom that were like homeschooling were like, oh yeah, you should try this curriculum, Bob Jones University, don't ever, do that. Don't ever do that. They're insane. They're out of their minds. Uh, so that was also Christian. So I was, once I left the small rural church, I was then homeschooled in a Christian curriculum for two years, which is great, which is really good for you. And I think the biggest thing that I took away from it was a lot of guilt. Like in general, eventually we did leave. We left when I was, I think, 16 or 17 maybe 18 I don't fully remember it was it was a few years ago now like we haven't the relief of not having to go to church in the mornings is like it pretty much just <laughs> all perception of time doesn't matter in comparison to that but um the biggest thing I've taken away now in my years of not being religious is guilt like for sure like there's I live with so much guilt over the smallest of things and it's it's a constant I don't know if that was like is catholic guilt like uh, oh, a big thing catholic guilt like the the term catholic guilt is is a huge like it is like a like an ideological concept of how bad oh catholic guilt is stream oh god by <laughs> orla gartland she talks <laughs> about she talks about catholic guilt in there but no catholic guilt is very very real and very very hard hitting so i I, I feel you on I feel you on the guilt there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to get rid of. It's pretty insidious. Like it's stuff that you know like you know logically nobody cares and like logically you shouldn't be feeling guilty about it because you're not in the wrong. But like you still do. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> so fun. It's just like the tendrils it's so fun the tendrils of christianity are like so deep in my brain like i don't know if i'll ever get them out you know what i mean absolutely uh, as far away as i am from it i don't know if they'll ever go away along with guilt well i guess sort of in tandem with guilt there was like really specific things that i felt a lot of guilt for and guess i guess still kind of do like again i'm mentioning a lot of like the worldly thing because only recently have i like come into feeling like nice in my body and feeling like oh I actually do kind of like the world and the planet and like the people in it and like nature and stuff but like if I was too like excited about a worldly thing you know like I remember a lot thinking like oh I'm so excited for Christmas this year and then being like oh my god you're only excited for Christmas sorry no I wouldn't say oh my god I would say oh my gosh because oh my god is taking the Lord's name in vain oh Thank of course much. but I would be like oh my gosh like I'm so excited for Christmas, but, like, am I excited for the celebration of Jesus' birth? 
understand like or am I just excited to get presents like of course you're just excited to get presents you're 10 years old you know like there's no there's nothing wrong with that but like I don't know I also felt a lot of guilt about like being more interested in reading novels than in reading the bible like I I read so much as a kid it was kind of ridiculous and I felt a lot of guilt about that like I was like oh I'd rather be reading not I would not rather be reading this now but like at the time I was like I'd rather be reading Harry Potter but like I know that that's you know like so not cool like it wasn't even like oh Harry Potter is immoral is more like oh I should be reading the bible more than I should be reading Harry Potter and sort of like I had a weird thing about like being terrified that for a while actually this is this continued for a couple of years I have two younger brothers and for some reason I had this huge fear that they like weren't really saved and the same thing with my parents as well which is like I was like they're not really saved like I have to save them somehow like I need to get them to like genuinely accept Jesus into their heart I was real sanctimonious with it but like <laughs> I I had a lot of fear that like my closest family members were you know not true believers whatever that means and I think the most long-lasting physical impact is my exceedingly complex relationship with sex. I don't know if I've talked about this at all, but I have, like, the most complex relationship with sex you'd ever heard in your life. Like, I, for a while, thought I was AIDS, and, like, I have vaginismus, which essentially is, you know, they call it a panic attack of the pelvic floor. Things don't go in there. That's, let's, that's what we'll say about that. So, like, I'm pretty sure that that's almost directly stemming from the religious aspect of like not enjoying sex, not having sex before marriage, not engaging in like non-reproductive sex almost. Like you're not supposed to enjoy sex, even though it says a lot of times in the Bible, like, yeah, God made sex like fun. Like that's supposed to be fun for you to do. But like for some reason, it's like it's only supposed to be, you know, like this really clinical thing that you're supposed to have kids from or whatever. But like, yeah, I had a really complex relationship with sex. I didn't, I didn't understand it and I still don't really understand it. So I'm still unraveling that sort of weird tangled mess of sexuality. I don't think I'm ace, but we flip flop on that a lot because I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't want to claim the ace identity just because I'm traumatized. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. But yeah, that's the biggest impact that I've experienced. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. There's definitely a thing about sex for me, too, that's an issue. In Catholicism, we have different levels of sins, and having sex, premarital sex, is a mortal sin, and you are not allowed to go to church and have communion, which is like the bread that you get, unless you go confess the fact that you've had premarital sex. Also, oh side my note, God. yeah, it's it's insane. But side note, in the Catholic Church, they don't actually teach that homosexuality is wrong. The reason that they they teach homosexuality is wrong is that you're not allowed to have premarital sex, and like they can't recognize homosexuality as a marriage because in the eyes of the church, a marriage is between a man and a woman for the purpose of having children. So. Mm -hmm. The sin is not actually being gay. The sin is having premarital sex, <laughs> which is you can't have marital sex in a gay relationship because they don't recognize it. But yeah, that's a that's a tangent. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Wow, I it, did not know that. Yeah. We're so, today. so that's actually true. Like they actually teach you, and if if you're reading like actual Catholic teachings, they teach you that there's nothing wrong with being gay because they don't believe that God makes 
people incorrectly. So they, I mean, they believe that it's, you know, not correct to be gay, but like they, they recognize that you can be gay. And there are actually people who identify as gay Catholics who practice. Uh, most of them just don't have partners, which whole separate thing. But while I did know that growing up about being queer, while I did, you know, read the teachings and see that it's not actually being gay, that is the problem. That doesn't mean that I didn't experience insane levels of homophobia being taught. Like, whether or not the Catholic Church teaches that as their official teaching, that doesn't mean that in Catholic school I wasn't taught that being gay is wrong. It doesn't mean that the kids right. around me were were calling people F-slurs, saying really harmful things. And so, while, like, I do have Catholic guilt and internalized guilt about sex and sexuality in that sense, for me it's more so the idea of being gay and like that terms of sexuality, like sexual orientation. And it, it's kind of been for me like going through the stages of grief when I realized that I was queer, because when you're raised in that environment, like you know what they believe, you heard it, you know what all of those people said. And so you've internalized all of that stuff. And so like for me, it's like knowing that you'll never be accepted in their eyes, especially when people in your family still strongly identify with that same religion. Like I know Ellie mentioned that their parents aren't super religious and were never super religious in the first place, kind of just did it because they grew up around it. Like for me, like my family's very religious. And so I'm still not out to, to some of my family because of that reason. And right. so it's this whole stage of grief where you're like uprooting your entire personhood because you know that all of the people around you, like when, when you grow up and, and you're surrounded by religious people and then you realize that your identity is something that is inherently contradicting to what they practice, it's really difficult to come to terms with the fact that like you will never be accepted. And yeah. it's like the idea that something that I've really, really struggled with is that losing most, if not all of the people who participated in my life before and who were my support system and understanding that people did not love me for me. Like they loved me for the idea that they had of me in their right. heads. Like most of my friends from high school don't talk to me anymore. I have a few that were obviously cool and like, of course, subconsciously, most of my closest friends in high school also ended up being gay because we all like to, we all gravitate yeah. towards each other. But right. like, that was a very small subsect of my school. And I lost a ton of friends when I came out because they were like, I can't support this. So there's this idea like beyond the fact that like you're losing your entire support system from before, like everyone that has been in your life so far for the most part rejects who you are essentially as a person. Like you lose your sense of self because it feels like a lie because your whole right. existence before you started to gravitate away from the church it just feels fake mm -hmm. and so that was something that was extremely damaging to my sense of self and is something that i have to continue to work on like the amount of times that i had to grieve people the loss of people in my life that i never thought i would lose it's not a small thing like this is something that i have spent the past four years of my life in therapy working on like right. it is it's so difficult to know that all of these people that supposedly loved you and supported you unconditionally there it was very conditional and now that you've broken the terms of the condition like okay you are dirt and that's how it is and so I think for me like the other thing is like religion just changes how you see the world and once you step away from that that lens that you were looking at before like you're like I said your sense of self is gone but it's also just like 
your connection to the world around you is so skewed because you don't know where who you are you don't know what's happening and like I could definitely say something about like that making you more vulnerable because you were living in a bubble and now that you're outside of that bubble like you are freely moving about spaces that you've never experienced or explored before without a support system so like I'm lucky that I didn't end up more hurt than I could have been in the quote-unquote outside world but Mm -hmm. I think there's also just like the aspect of like it hurts to see things that are religious now like there's a sting every time I see something that's religious that I used to find comfort in and identify with that I can't anymore because I've been told that I can't it's like also the other thing is like you you kind of get trained to what I like to call like almost dog whistles which are like little symbols of Catholicism or Christianity that are like unavailable to the untrained eye like people will say something and you'll be like oh you're Christian oh, you're Catholic, Um, which side note, I think that there's also something beautiful about finding people that you share in the trauma with. I mean, like Ellie and I have bonded over religious trauma. My best friend and now roommate, like we, we actually found each other, not specifically because of trauma, but we were at our freshman orientation and they did a prayer because like I said, Loyola is a Jesuit university. They did a prayer at our freshman orientation and we were in the same orientation group and we noticed that the other person was doing the sign of the cross, which is like the the motion that Catholics do. And so we actually became friends because of that. But so like that was- That's so beautiful. Yeah, it was was actually really, really great. But outside of that, like it's mainly a negative thing, I feel. And so like, as I explained earlier, like Catholic guilt is, is very real and is a real bitch. And it really makes you question what is and isn't real in the world. And like, I mentioned briefly how my high school was a very, very damaging place for me. And because it wasn't just Catholic, but it was like extremist right-wing Catholicism. Like, insane. Like, I I went to a school in a liberal part of Michigan. I'm not going to say because I'm pretty sure it's the only Catholic school in that area. And I don't want to give it away, but I went to a school in a very liberal area. So my school was like a hub for right-wing conservatism, but like very bad. But because of the proximity to the liberal quote-unquote world around us, there was an even higher emphasis on like the evil of the world around you because it was all around us and so I battle yep yep and so like one thing that that stands out to me is that in my high school specifically because you know we were becoming young young men and women we were taught how to have this battle we were taught the talking points for every single possible topic someone could tell us and and so it was literally like really insane actually like the things that I still like I still know how to answer questions about the Catholic Church because of this like you could ask me a political topic and I could tell you the stance and tell you the capital T truth about it but the other thing is like they taught us that the outside world was going to try and turn us evil but we had to stick to that capital T truth to be saved to be good people and because of that idea like like the way that they villainized everyone around them it's you know it is that echo chamber but in a more insidious way it's it's the us versus them mentality that they taught right but because they taught that that the them was going to be so corrupt i i don't really know what's real sometimes like i i'm better about it now but sometimes i sit back and i'm like am i enjoying life like do i think i'm enjoying life because i genuinely enjoy life 
Or do I enjoy life because I'm being corrupted by the evil that is around me because like the physical goods, the worldly goods, you know, getting drunk or having sex, like those things feel good to you, but they aren't good for your soul, which is the Catholic Church teaches. So it's like, do these things feel good to me because they're good for me, which spoiler alert is what I believe, but um, or, or do... <laughs> Or do they feel good because that's what the devil wants them to feel like? You know what I mean? And right. so, like, especially in early adulthood, this was something that I struggled with a lot because I was like, am I allowed to enjoy this? Like, or is this just what I was told? Like, this is, am I experiencing the corruption of the outside world? Is mm -hmm. this, this is what's happening. It's got to be what's happening. But now I know that that's not the case and that pain does not necessarily mean good, which is something right. that I feel like Christianity teaches a lot. Like, there's a beauty and suffering and like well I think that can be true I don't think that's inherently true and I think that that's a harmful thing to teach is that pain is necessarily good and has a greater purpose because sometimes it doesn't sometimes pain is just pain and sometimes trauma is just trauma like I just I don't believe in that anymore and so like that's not something that I necessarily struggle with now but it was definitely something that I struggled with before yeah that's kind of just like how I've been impacted. But going off of that, I think that we should kind of talk about our current experience with religion and spirituality, which is something that Ellie kind of briefly mentioned before is that we both still kind of identify with spirituality in a sense. So Ellie, why don't you just talk a little bit uh, about how you feel about your relationship with religion and or spirituality? Right, well, I mean, I, again, I, my family and I left the church five, six years ago, so, there is a lot of like what you said of seeing religious things and sort of being like aha I see it and I still sort of I find a lot of enjoyment in that which is I know quite opposite to you but like I if I'm watching something and I I see that there's a really obvious or even sometimes not obvious allusion to like a bible story or a religious idea I'm always like oh that's kind of fun like it's it's like being part of a secret club without any of like the shitty side effects anymore Sorry, I was just going to say, okay. I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I personally enjoy it, too. It definitely, sometimes, like, I'll see stuff, and it'll just kind of make me, like, really sad or upset. Because it's like, oh, that used to actually, like, really work for me. Like, that used to be comforting. But, um, for the most part, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to, to play, like, oh, spot the Christian influence on this piece of media. But, like, just more broadly, I haven't really dabbled in any like fully organized religion like I haven't dipped my toes into like Islam or anything but I have looked at the ideologies of a lot of different spiritualities and I did mention yoga I dabbled in like tarot for a little while I'd like to get back into that I think a lot of my exploration comes back to mindfulness because there's a not there's not a lot of encouragement of mindfulness in the church like it's just sort of like you know I, I think a lot of the church is sort of like mandated dissociation but I think a lot of my like being into tarot and being into meditation and everything has a lot to do with the reclamation of mindfulness so there is a really a really strange relationship with with religion and spirituality but it's something that I'm, I'm interested in exploring further and figuring out like what works for me and not feeling and not feeling too restricted by any like specific set of rules which is why I think I haven't really tried any organized religion I, I got close to Buddhism and I am sort of interested in Buddhism but like Buddhism 
there's so many different like types and sects and a lot of it is just sort of based on your personal experiences so not super organized like that but yeah what about you yeah so i identify as what i call culturally catholic Mm -hmm. just because i was raised in catholicism like i was born headfirst into catholicism for Mm -hmm. lack of a better image and so there's a lot of Catholicism that I still resonate with and I identify with. And I know before you were talking about how you were really devout, I was extremely devout and involved in the church. Like I loved Mm -hmm. being involved. And I think the other thing I was talking about this with my partner who was also raised Catholic, it's just like Catholicism has some of the world's most beautiful art and music. And that is something that I still resonate with. And I I don't want to divorce myself from these ideas just because I don't fully believe in everything that's being taught. And so like that's why I call myself a cultural Catholic. But if someone were to ask, I would still say I'm Catholic because of that same idea. Right. And the biggest thing for me before was like, I don't have that many problems with Catholicism as, at its core. It's the Catholic Church as an institution and it's other Catholics that I dislike. Right. I hate the people and I hate the church. But the core of the religion has a lot of things that I personally love and have identified with since I was younger. And so I think for, for now, it's like I still identify as Catholic. And there are aspects of Catholicism that I still really resonate with. And so like I don't fully want to, like I said earlier, divorce myself from that. But I also, as I've explained at, you know, to great extents and to great lengths, like I do have significant trauma from the Catholic Church, so it's not something that I can still be fully involved in. So I think that's where I've kind of started to gravitate towards spirituality and more witchcraft than anything else. But like, because I've always been a spiritual person and what I appreciate about spirituality, at least how I've practiced it, is it's all about your personal relationship with the higher power and so for me like i identify as catholic because like i believe in a god i don't know that i fully know what the god is but like at the end of the day all of aren't all religions just kind of like serving different ideas of the same god for the most part like the whole idea is that you're going to a higher power and so it's like it doesn't really matter to me what that looks like what form that being takes like i like to believe that there's a higher power generally And so I feel like that's where my issue with organized religion comes in is like there's too much emphasis on other people and not enough emphasis on yourself and being a good person. Like say that heaven is real, whether you believe it or not. Like I don't like believing in the idea that what's going to get me to heaven is following a bunch of obscure rules and looking good to other people and not how I act as a person. So that's why I think for me, it's more about my personal relationship with whatever higher power I believe in. But I found that spirituality is also kind of culty. And that's something that I've really struggled with is that there's this idea in the spiritual community that like you have to follow all of these rules to be a good spiritual person. And like that sets off my trauma because I'm like, I want to just do my own thing. Like I don't have to manifest every night. I don't have to to uh-huh. wear crystals every single day. I don't have to do this. I don't have to have an altar. I don't have to do this or that. Like I can kind of tune in when I feel like I need it. And I feel like that's for me where I'm at is like, whether I'm, I'm mixing spirituality and Catholicism, whatever it is, like what's most important to me is that it's all about me and my connection to the power 
Like it's, it's not about the religion as a whole. It's just about where I am in my life and what I need help with what I feel like I need to do. Because at the end of the day, for me, I am focused on being a good person, but I'm also focused on being good to myself, which is something that religion doesn't always let you be. And so I'm going to do what I can, obviously, to be good to others, but I'm not going to step on myself anymore in order to make that happen. So that's just kind of where I am at spiritually. And like, I go to mass sometimes. My partner and I, like I said, we were both raised Catholic. We both still identify as Catholic. So like there's a lot about the services that I enjoy. And so every once in a while I do go and every once in a while I I do dip my toe in, but I just cannot believe in an all or nothing fashion. Like it's not helpful for me. It's, it's, it's very hurtful, especially as a queer person. But yeah, so that's that's just kind of where I'm at. We are we are way over time. So if you want uh, Ellie and I to do a part two on this topic, I'm sure that both of us could happily provide more. Um, we definitely have more poems we could share. But is there anything else that you wanted to add for this episode, Ellie, before we sign off? I mostly wanted to highlight something you said a little while ago and sort of end with that religion and spirituality is about you at its core and it needs to be about you it's not about anyone else and i think that's important to remember from a like evangelical perspective because what works for you doesn't work for everyone else and it's also important like you can't be selfless all the time you have to take care of yourself and if if there is a god which i don't i'm not sure about sometimes if there's a god up there i don't think god would be like yeah, for sure, burn yourself out helping other people and never take care of yourself and give yourself, like, horrible diseases from stressing yourself out too much. I think God would be like, yeah, dude, like, have a glass of wine. Go watch that movie that you really like. Like, go hang out with your partner. Go have sex. Like... Exactly. It's like... It's for you. What was the point of creating all of these things if we're not supposed to do any of them? Exactly! Like, okay, sure, corruption. We corrupted the world. I don't care. The corrupted world is cool, and I like it, okay? I like getting drunk. So... (laughs) I I love being drunk. Actually, Jesus was drunk, so that's what what I'm taking away. Jesus turned water into wine, and you're telling me that I'm not allowed to drink water that he turned into wine? Was that not for me? Did Jesus not ask to save me? Jesus wants me to get drunk. Jesus wants me to get trashed at family events. Um, anyway. That's where we're ending. (laughs) Yeah. But on that note, I think that what Ellie just said was a really good thing. And just, like, remember that you don't owe anyone anything. At the end of the day, whatever you believe, whatever you don't believe, that's valid. If you personally feel like evangelical Christianity, whether that's Protestant Christianity or Catholicism, is what makes you feel like you can survive every day because of that is so valid and continue doing that but just know that like everyone is entitled to that that's the one thing that i will say we do not judge you for whatever you practice but we do judge you for saying that there are no other valid religions other than your own that is not true no matter what your religion is leave people alone let them practice Mm -hmm. let's not be islamophobic Let's not be anti-Semitic. Everyone's religion is valid as long as it's not hurting anyone else or themselves. With that being said... Thanks for listening, guys. Stay safe. Wear your masks. Stay cool, even though it is cooling down a bit, but still. And...